Well, good evening. Not sounding so good. Good evening. Hey, that's a little bit better. Okay. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the health and the strength that allows us to be here today. I pray that you'd bless our time together tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but last week we looked at just a few verses of Scripture and watched as the character and the integrity of the Apostle Paul was under attack. And you may remember the nature of the attack that there were those who were saying that what Paul wrote and what Paul was really trying to say were two different things, that he was not being completely honest in his writings and that there were subliminal messages uh, that he was trying to convey. And then the other thought or the other manner in which he was being attacked was in in regards to uh, his lack of visiting the church of Corinth like he said he was going to. And so basically the charge was this, is that he said what was, ever, what was convenient for the moment. And so Paul addressed that last week, and we watched as he addressed it directly, and then he addressed it with some rhetorical questions. But all that was said to say this, that the reason that Paul was able to address the accusations being brought against him was because Paul had managed to take care of his testimony. He was not careless with his testimony. He was very careful with it. And so last week I tried to remind us that the attacks and the accusations can come against us from anyone at any time in relation to our character and our integrity, and we need to live in such a way, being careful with our testimony, that when somebody else hears an accusation about us that is not true, that they would not believe it because it just wouldn't make sense with what they know us to be. If you and I are careless with our testimony, then it makes it so much harder for us to defend ourselves, and it makes it easier for others to believe the worst about us. And so it is very important that we handle ourselves uh, carefully as it relates to our testimony. Tonight I'm going to ask you a question. I would, uh, I, I would suspect this has happened to all of us at some point by way of observation or maybe it's happened to us personally. But how many of us have ever seen something like this, that someone gets introduced to something new and as a result they get extremely excited about what it is they've been introduced to? You ever seen this happen? It can happen in so many different areas of life. It can happen in so many different walks of life. I'm going to illustrate just a couple of them so that you know what I'm talking about, and then we'll move on from there. But a couple of years ago, several years ago, I don't remember how long it's been now, uh, there was this new makeup that was entering into the market, entering into the industry, and I was informed by way of a family member that this was going to change the world of makeup And if we would get in early enough, well, there's no telling how much money we could make. All you had to do was sign people up. All they had to do was then sell the product for you. And then after that, all you had to do was sit back and basically count your money. They were excited about the potential. They were excited about the possibility. 
And they wanted us to get in on it, and so in an effort to appease them, I wrote the check, I think, for like $45, and I said, sure, sign me up, and that was the extent of it. And, and long story short, my family is not millionaires. We all still have to go to work every day and, you know, like not fly around in our private jets and things like that. You know, we're just still very normal people. My $45 did not translate into multiplied millions. Years before that, my Meemaw, who lived in Houston, she got introduced to Herbalife. Did any of you ever hear of that, Herbalife? Now, I don't remember everything that this miracle concoction was supposed to do, but one of the things it was supposed to do was make you skinny and healthy. Well, man, my family got excited about that. They were thrilled about it, and it didn't quite work the way it was supposed to work. I want us to think about this and just, again, see if you can identify with this to some extent. Somebody gets introduced to something new. They're all excited. They're all thrilled. And they want everyone else to be excited. And they want everyone else to be thrilled. And sometimes not everybody is excited or thrilled like the person is who just got introduced to the product. And I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, but again, I bet you have. That whenever the person is excited and they're trying to get somebody else excited... When that person doesn't get excited, it almost serves as an offense to the one who is excited. Like, why aren't you excited? Have you ever been there? And the person's like, because I don't care. I remember years ago, I went to a conference or a seminar or whatever you'd like to call it. And it was just a two-day conference. And, man, I, I got some good information. I got some good stuff. And, and it was some stuff that was really a help to me. And I was excited about it. And I wanted to share it with some people. Man, I learned this. And this was brought to light. And this was talked about. And this was dealt with. And, and some of the people that I were talking to, they're just like, all right. And there's a part of me that's like, don't, don't you get it? This is important. This is life-changing. This can help you so much. And so on the inside, I was screaming at them like, come on. On the outside, I was still nice. But on the inside, I was like, get it. Come on. They're just like, no. They just kept eating their meal and thought, how dare you? Why aren't you as excited about this as I am? And you know why they weren't as excited about it? Because they didn't care. And at the end of the day, you know what is true? I don't care if it's our excitement about something that we're trying to get them excited about or it's them excited about something trying to get us excited about it. The reality is this. If people don't want to get excited about it, you're not going to make them get excited about it. Is that fair to say? Just like we're not going to get all hip, hip, hooray about certain things because we don't want to. Well, guess what? It's just not going to happen for some people in relation to some of what we're excited about. Why deal with that? Well, this evening, keep in mind, please, obviously hoping to come back to that in a couple of moments, 
Keep in mind tonight that the attack has been against the character and the integrity of the Apostle Paul, in part because he had not come to visit them as he had said he intended to do. Now, never mind the fact that the Apostle Paul tried to be led by the Spirit in his endeavors. He says in verse number 23, to try to keep the flow of this going and to try to understand the context of it, he said, Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. So the Apostle Paul calls God in as a witness or a testimony upon his own soul. And he says that to spare you, as of yet, I have not come unto Corinth. And so Paul says part of the reason that I have not yet come is because I am seeking or I am hoping, I am desiring to spare you. And the implication would be something like this. Because I know maybe what I might be inclined to do if I did come right now. Let me ask you something. Have you ever kind of gotten hot under the, col- under the collar? And, and so sometimes because you're hot under the collar, it's just best if you don't deal with certain situations at a particular time. Because you know you might not handle it the way it needs to be handled if you handled it at the moment you were really wanting to handle it. Okay, well, you and I have got to remember that the Apostle Paul was as human as you and I, and so he had as much of a tendency to get hot under the collar and to maybe deal with things, maybe in a way that wasn't completely best for the situation. And so he says, listen, part of why I've not come is not just because the Spirit of God has not led me there, but also, listen, I I want to spare you, and I I don't want to come in too hard and too hot under the circumstances, everything that we've had to deal with in recent letters and in recent past. And so this seems to be somewhat still the Apostle Paul trying to defend himself and explaining why things haven't worked out the way that he said they were going to. But in verses 21 through 24, there is, there is so much incredible information, at least for you and I, that seems to just kind of be tagged onto his thoughts And so tonight we're going to look at just a little bit of what is said in verses 21 through 24 because it was a help to me, and I'm hoping if it's a help to me, it can be a help to you. All right? So understanding that this is somewhat a little disconnected from the context, look in the very last statement of verse number 24. The very last statement of verse number 24, the Apostle Paul said this, "...for by faith ye stand." For by faith ye stand. I'm not going to labor this tonight because, again, most of you know what I'm going to say. Uh, You'll be familiar with these truths as we work our way through them. But I want us to think about this word stand and what it means. The word stand here means to be fixed, to be established, or to be made firm. To be fixed to be established or to be made firm. That is what it means to stand. So here is Paul writing to the believers in Corinth, and he says this, For by faith or through faith ye stand. So what does it mean when the Apostle Paul writes of faith? Well, the word faith, as we understand, would be this, what a person believes to be true what a person holds to by way of fact or what we might refer to as a conviction, 
for someone. So in the context of things, understanding who is writing this, who he is writing it to, what did they have their faith in? What did they have their trust and their confidence in? Well, they had their faith in God, they had their faith in Christ, and they had their faith in what was revealed of God in Christ to them at this point. And so the Apostle Paul is saying this, that it is by faith or through faith that ye stand. So it's based on your beliefs. It is based on your positions. It is based on your convictions that you are made firm, that you are established, that you do not move. It is because of what you believe that gets you to a point that you stand and that you are immovable in the positions that you take. Does this make sense? He said it's because of your faith that this is what it produces that you are able to stand. Without the faith, there would be no establishment. Without a conviction, without a deep-seated belief in something, in God, in Christ, without that faith, there would not be the stability that needed to be present in their spiritual lives. So Paul said, it is because of your faith that you stand. It is because of what you believe. It is because of the positions and the convictions that you hold to that you are immovable, again, as it relates to God and Christ and what had been revealed of him to this point. Now, we'll see this more in just a moment, but I want us to give attention to this in verse number 24, the very last phrase, what we've already been looking at. He said, for, for by faith ye stand. What's important about the word ye? It's important because here's what it implies and here's what it directs them to and what it ought to, what it ought to direct us to, and that is this that it is a personal position taken by the individual. It is a personal position that the individual takes that gives them the ability to stand as it relates to everything else that is going on around them. Paul is suggesting in this passage, and again we'll look at it more in a couple of moments, But he is suggesting in this passage that in order for a person to stand, in order for a person to be firm and established and immovable, it has to be a personal faith on their part. It has to be their faith and not someone else's faith. Now you've seen this as much as I have seen this that there are some people who try to live off the faith of other people. And that never works. In order for me to stand, here is what I have to be reminded of. In order for me to stand, to be established, to be firm, to be fixed, to be immovable, I have to have my own faith Susie's faith will never be enough to help me stand. I have to be the one who has the personal faith. Susie will never be able to stand with my faith alone. It must be her faith 
that causes her to stand. When you and I are raising kids, when you and I are looking at grandchildren, as much as we would like to say, okay, our faith will get you through, what do every one of us know? That in order for our kids to stand, it has to become their faith, not our faith. Our kids have to grow into and they have to choose to develop what they're going to believe, what they're going to identify with, what they're going to to trust by way of a conviction. Because if they don't choose for themselves, our faith will never be enough to cause them to stand with everything that's going on in the world today. Paul is just making this clear that the only way a person stands in this world with the attacks, with the sin, with everything that goes on, the only way that it works for a person to stand is if they have their own personal faith. We've all seen it. Where one of the spouses is strong in their faith, but one of them isn't. If the one who is falters, what does the other one do immediately? Well, they falter as well because they never had their own faith. We've seen this, I don't know how many times, the kids who flounder and the kids who struggle and the kids who who just make a mess of things so many times, not because they weren't given the right influences growing up, but because it wasn't their faith. It must be a personal faith if we are going to stand. That is true for every last one of us. So go back to verse number 21. This just kind of builds upon what Paul says there in the last part. He says, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. Now, whenever he says establisheth, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about being established, which would be very close to what? Be very close to standing. To be established would be very similar by way of being fixed, to be unmoved, to, to be one that is stable in who they are, He says this, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us. What does it mean to be anointed? It means to be consecrated, to be set apart for service. Okay, He said, The one who hath established us and hath anointed or consecrated us, it is God who has done that. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason, because it reminds us that the work of becoming established and the work of being made firm so that we might stand can only be done when God does the work in an individual's life through the working of Jesus Christ in that person's life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But you and I cannot just wake up one day and say, you know what, today I stand. Today I will be firm. Today I will not be moved. Today I'm going to be fixed. Today nothing is going to shake me. You and I can make that declaration, but you and I do not have the ability in and of ourselves to make that happen. 
If you and I think we've got the ability in and of ourselves to make that happen, we will see very quickly just how easily we are going to not stand and not be established. The only way that we can be established and made firm and stand is by God doing the work through us. So how does that happen? Well, it can only happen if we yield ourselves to Him. I I have to yield myself to God through Jesus Christ, what He has done in my life. And as I yield to God through Christ, here's what happens. It is God, as I have placed my faith in who He is and who Christ is, it is through my yielding and my act of submission and trusting everything that's been revealed of Him that will help me stand in the days of adversity, in the days of testing, in the days of struggle, whatever the the time may be. So it's kind of an incredible flow, is it not? He which establisheth you, personal, and hath anointed us, personal, is God, in Christ, and it is by faith that we stand. Now, verse number 22 is a whole different thought that, again, Paul just seems to kind of throw in there, which is an amazing theological truth that we're, again, not going to deal with tonight. But here he is talking about, here's how you stand by the work of God in your life. It's through faith. But notice what he says in verse number 24, the first part. He says, not for that we have dominion over your faith. Not that we have dominion over your faith. What does it mean to have dominion? It means to have authority over something. It means to exercise some lordship over something. So he's talking about their faith. And Paul said, now listen, we do not have dominion or authority over your faith. For by faith ye stand. It's because of your faith, your trust, your confidence in who God is, It is your faith in God through Christ that you are established and we've been consecrated or anointed. And that is how we stand. But Paul says this, I have no authority over your faith. I can't exercise dominion over your faith. I can't lord over your faith. So Paul, what are you trying to say? I think Paul would say, I'm trying to convey to them, your faith is your responsibility. I think Paul would say, listen, if I could dictate what kind of faith you have, I would dictate to you the kind of faith you will have. 
But that's not my role. That's not my position. That's not my place. I can't come to the church of Corinth and say, you, shape up here. You, get your act together here. You get more faith. You get more faith. You believe this. You believe that. You believe this. He said, I can't do that. That's not my place. That is your responsibility in your personal faith to have that kind of faith. I am not to have dominion, and it's not that we do have dominion over your faith. He said this, but we are helpers of your joy. What does it mean to be a helper? It means to be an assistant or an aid in something. I promise you we're going somewhere with all this. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we but are helpers or assistance of your joy, of your gladness. What are we trying to do, Paul says? Well, we're trying to encourage you so that you might have joy, so that you might have gladness. How would the Apostle Paul be a helper or an aid or an assistant to their joy? Well, maybe through some encouragement, right? The Apostle Paul was certainly one to be an encourager when encouragement was appropriate. But sometimes to be the assistant or the helper or the aid of their joy and their gladness might be through correction and rebuke. Because sometimes in order to know joy and in order to know gladness, you have to know where you've been wrong to know what needs to be made right so that you can get the joy and the gladness restored. I think it's interesting. Paul did not come along and say, now listen, my job and my responsibility is to be a helper of your joy. So all I'm going to do is give you encouraging, uplifting, positive thoughts. That's not at all what he said. He said, I'm just here to be a helper of your joy. And that could fall under any umbrella as to how this was going to happen. Again, whether it be correction, rebuke, encouragement, whatever it was needed. But again, he stressed this point. Not that we have dominion over your faith. I don't have any authority over this. This is your personal faith that you must develop, that you must possess in order to stand when you might be tested, when you might be challenged, And that can only be done by God through Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, it's important for many reasons, but I want us to think about this tonight. At some point in your past, who did you get introduced to? You got introduced to God. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. That's what happened to you. If you're saved, if I'm saved, which I am and I hope you are, the way that we got saved was by Jesus Christ and that is what established our relationship with God. That's a wonderful thing. Now, God is the only one who could do that, and God is the only one who can establish us up, or establish us and, and anoint us and consecrate us. It's only God who can do that. 
And I think that most of us tonight would say this, that as a result of our salvation, we have been made better off because of it. So, we were introduced to Jesus. We were introduced to God through Jesus. And we would say, man, it's been a lot better since having placed my faith in Jesus Christ. It's helped me stand when life was difficult. It's made me stand when life was challenging. It's helped me be immovable when the world was trying to get me to sway. It's been good to be a child of God. And so now what do we want? Well, we want others to accept what we've been given and what we've come into contact with, right? And so who do we want to get as excited about Jesus as we've been, or at least ought to be, in our lives? Well, we want people without Jesus to get as excited about Him as we are, or again, should be. So it might be your co-worker, it might be your family member, it might be your neighbor, it might be someone that I wouldn't think of tonight. And, and, and if this has ever happened to you, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. We tried to tell that person about Jesus. And you know what their response is? Huh. Fine if it's what you need. But that's not what I need. It's okay if you get excited about it. But, you know, I'm not really as excited about it as maybe you are. You may see all the benefits of it, but I don't really see the benefit of it for me and for my family. You know, it's, it's good if that's what you want to do, but that's not what I'm going to do for myself. Have we ever been there where maybe not those exact words were used, but certainly that is the thought that was conveyed? From someone? So let me ask you what your response was to that. I bet your response was not, oh, well, I tried. It's sometimes difficult, is it not, to not take it personal? I'm trying to share with you what you need. I'm trying to share with you what would help you so much. I'm trying to show you what your family needs in a desperate kind of way. It's hard not to take that personal sometimes. It's hard not to get angry sometimes, is it not? Because it's so obvious to you that they need what you have to offer, but they're not interested in the product, so to speak. And what do we want to do sometimes? I don't know about you, but here's what I know for myself. Sometimes I want to force it on people. Just take it, okay? Have you ever been there? Just, you need it here. If I had a free sample, I'd give it to you. But it doesn't work that way with Jesus. Okay, some of y'all are looking at me like, I no, come on. Right. Can we understand the correlation here? I've wanted to force Jesus on people before. I've wanted to force faith on church members before. 
Not saving faith, but come on. Let's get past it. Come on, let's move. Come on, let's do this. Come on, trust the Lord in this. Come on, get your act together. Let's start obeying God in this. I've wanted to do that, but you know what? I can't have dominion over another person's faith. I cannot exercise authority on another person's faith. So therefore, I cannot make someone get excited about something and submit to something they don't want to get excited about and submit to. And I need to be reminded of that. And maybe a couple of you need to be reminded of that as well. Do it, do it, do it. Come on, you'll be glad you did. Come on, you'll, you'll, you'll never regret it. And you're telling them the right things. But at the end of the day, we've got to be reminded until they want to accept and until they want to get excited about what Christ has to offer, until they make it personal, we will never be able to exercise that authority over their lives. kind of like what the Apostle Paul said. The only thing that we can do, really, outside of praying for someone, is to try to be an encourager in the situation. But again, we'll have no ability to be the authority in the situation. See, I may see someone that I have a burden for by way of their faith, what they believe, what they are convicted of, what they are persuaded of, and I could go to them and I could say to them, listen, you need to get your act together, and this is what you've got to do, and this is what you've got to start you know, acting upon in your family, whatever it may be, and I can tell them that, but I can't make them do it. The only thing that I have the ability to do is to encourage them, and say, I'd really like to help you. I'd really like to assist you. I'd like to be an aid to you. Not in those exact words, but, but come beside them and say, listen, I want to encourage you and I want to help you see your need for what I've already got and what I've already been benefited by. But I cannot make them do it because the only way they will do it is if they choose to do it. So if this has made any sense at all, then you can identify with what I'm about to say. Sometimes I've gotten mad and upset and discouraged over things I have no business getting mad, upset, and discouraged about. Because I'm letting all these emotions run wild in an area of my life where I have no authority in the first place. Because if God doesn't do the work, it will not get done. Somebody may humor me for a little bit, but I've learned over the years, if they're just humoring me, it's not going to last when the storm or the difficulty really comes. 
And so this evening, again, if this has made sense, then I trust that you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to convey tonight, is that there may be some person in your life, whomever it is, I don't know, there may be some person in your life where you have said repeatedly, I wish I could just make them, then fill in the blank, whatever it is you wish you could make them do. Have you ever, have you ever been there? Okay, we need to be reminded tonight, we can't. We can't, we can't, we can't, and we never, ever will. The only way they'll ever do it is if they choose to do it, and the only way they'll ever choose to do it is if they choose to yield themselves to God through Jesus Christ in whatever area of life it may be. And so if there's someone in your life right now that you'd love to just exercise some authority over, Get this, please. If there's someone in your life that you'd love to exercise some authority over, remember, it's not your place to do it. All you can do is pray for them. That's your part privately, but your part publicly is to encourage them as best you can and then leave it in the hands of God because until God does the work, it will not be done. But when God does do the work, it will be done, and we won't have to be the cheerleader who keeps them going on. Yeah. You may not need it, but your pastor needed it. So I thought I'd share with you what I needed this week, all right? All right. Let's all stand and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be reminded that just as Paul had no dominion over the faith of the believers in Corinth, we have no authority over the faith of anyone but ourselves. And God, if the Apostle Paul could only aid and help in the process, then, Lord, that's all we can do. And, Lord, we have to be sensitive to how you would have us to help and to, to be an assistant to someone else. But, Lord... I know for myself I get so confused in those two areas so many times. So, God, I pray that you'd help us to remember where our authority starts, where it stops, what we do and do not have control of, and that you'd help us to remember that as frequently as needed. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As Rachel